Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast for Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wim Lou, speaking to you after the Toronto Raptors. Lou's like a bit of a heartbreaker, if I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I'm really, really sad for the team. I'm kind of sad for myself, really. Just like, the Raptors were playing really good basketball for th- like three quarters, I would say. Um, probably more than two and a half quarters, but you know, it, it playing pretty good basketball. Playing in tight on the second half of back-to-back, but uh, completely collapsed in the fourth quarter, losing by a score of 118 to 104 because they lost the fourth quarter. Get this, 36 to 14. They lost the fourth quarter, 36 to 14. Um, but you know, like it's not one of those games where you're really mad at the team. I, I understand it. I think. Um, you know, this is one of those games that you look at it on the schedule and it's going to be really tough. I understand that they're playing the Pacers who are, you know, rebuilding, although they have a 500 record just like the Raptors have a 500 record right now. So, you know, who's to say who, which team is what? Um, but, you know, the Pacers are coming off two days of rest at home versus a Raptors team that is coming in on the second half of back-to-back, playing their fifth game in this week. Literally, this is their fifth game in seven days. Uh, the Raptors flying in from Oklahoma City. It's a long flight. And then also, they're without Fred, who had a flu. Um, you got to assume other people might also have it. I mean, that's just how viruses work. Um, obviously, Pascal's out. You know, Precious, Kem. So you're missing a lot of guys, right? Um, and you're already in tight. And, and listen, that's why it was great to see the way the Raptors responded in the first half. They played really well. They got to the paint at will. They had 61 points or... Yeah, that's 61 points? No, 65 points at halftime, um, which was amazing, completely unexpected. The Raptors were getting to the free throw line a ton. They were getting into the paint each time down. They were playing with the pace, with force. And you know what? Offensively, it it wasn't great. Um, The Pacers were getting some open threes, and they were missing a lot of those early on. And I knew that that was something that wouldn't necessarily last because of the fact that the Pacers are just such a good three-point shooting team. Uh, and those were good looks. However, the Raptors were at least sort of collecting the rebounds, you know, um, and okay, fine. You know, sometimes teams have a cold night. The Raptors probably needed the Pacers to have a cold night. Um, but yeah, in the second half, um, the Pacers started making a lot of their threes. Uh, they made six threes in the third quarter. Uh, they made a whole bunch in the fourth quarter. Very fittingly, the game-winning basket or the the, the, the game-clinching basket was uh, Buddy Heald popping free on a double screen for three. Um, You know, that kind of attention to detail just wasn't there for the Raptors uh, in terms of running the Pacers off the three-point line. And uh, you know what? That's that's what ultimately did them in. So, you know, when you look at the final box score and you see 19-7 to advantage in three-pointers made, it doesn't really matter what else the Raptors did. I mean, yes, the Raptors won the possession battle, uh, you know, 21 to 12 in turnovers. Uh, they got five more offensive rebounds than the Pacers. They took 12 more shots than the Pacers, but the Pacers made 12 more threes. That's an additional 36 points that you got to make up at the free throw line in the two point range. The Raptors just didn't have that. And to be honest, like the officiating kind of changed too, right? First half, they were calling everything inside the paint, right? The Pacers were in, like the Raptors were in the bonus in the first five minutes of the game. They kept going to the basket. They were the aggressors, whatever. Second half, the Raptors still played like that, but the refs just stopped calling everything in the paint. Very, very different uh, game in terms of the officiating in the first half and the second half. And to be honest, some of that is also the Pacers, um, 
um, you know, in, in terms of their strategy, you know, they were leaving guys open more often on the three-point line. Uh, they were collapsing harder in the paint. Uh, Miles Turner was able to play more of the of the second half. After he left the first half with uh, early foul trouble, the Raptors got into him, and he's their shot blocker. So having him back into the game really allowed them to sort of contest shots at the basket. But in, a gen- in general, the Pacers played tougher in the paint, and so the Raptors weren't scoring as much down there. They weren't getting the foul calls. And then I think the, what really started the run for Indiana was just getting on the fast break. The Pacers are really, really good on the break. Now, it's not a surprise to me because, again, you just look at the makeup of the team. They have a lot of guards. They have a lot of guys who can handle it, right? They start three guards, uh, you know, between Halliburton, Nemhard, and Buddy Heald. So all three of those guys are just inbounding the ball quickly and rushing and going and going and going. You know, it's something that Nick Nurse has talked about before, where he wants them to do the quick inbound thing, where don't give it to the ref, don't walk it in, don't don't like don't slow down the tempo. The Pacers know that they want to play fast, they want to get up shots early, uh, and they just want to continue to hammer you over and over again and run you out of their gym. Especially with that much advantage in rest, it makes perfect sense. Raptors were able to flip that straight into his head because they were able to score each time down, so their defense was able to get set. But when the Raptors st- started missing shots and stopped getting calls in the paint, the Pacers were able to get out on the break time and time and time and time again. Immediately, right out of the third quarter, they, they were able to cut the advantage down. Um, and, you know, the Raptors struggled from there. Like, you know, it, it became one of those grimy games where, okay, the Raptors were able to respond to some of Indiana's runs and keep them at bay for a little bit. But once the Pacers sort of went ahead, it became a real struggle because the Raptors just could not generate offense. And when you look at the guys on the team tonight um, – you can't really win games without Fred and Pascal and to see Scotty Barnes give you eight and to see Gary Trent Jr. give you six. Between the two of those guys, I got to say, Gary, I mean, just a, a really big negative tonight. He's just been stuck in a big funk. I don't know what's necessarily happening with him. I haven't seen him play this bad since he was sick in the Sixers series. So, again, I don't want to speculate, but it's, it's one of those performances that's so bad where he's missing on even wide open threes that – you know, it, it 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 really clouds like your assessment of the game. It, it, he can't just have been that cold. Um, outside of you know sticking his leg out and, and drawing some fouls um, on some jump shots, he had nothing. Literally one of thirteen from the field. And the thing with between his one of thirteen and the difference between that and and Scotty's four of sixteen is not just the three extra makes. It's the fact that Scotty plays other roles on the team, right? He's able to rebound. He's able to push the pace. He was able to, you know, play point for the team tonight. Did a decent job of that. And honestly, don't look at the five assists for Scotty. He threw a lot of really nice passes that would have, honestly, this is a night where he probably should have 10 assists. Like, he really created that many advantages, picked out shooters. But when the Raptors shoot 7 of 35 from three, when the Raptors get fouled on a lot of their attempts near the basket, so there's no assist in that play, Scotty's not getting the credit for that. But, you know, Scotty's playing that floor game, but Gary just needed to score more. Like, it, I don't know what was up with him. Nick benched him. Nick ultimately went back to him in the fourth quarter, trusted him in a big moment. Gary was wide open in the corner, literally as clean of a shot as you can really ask him to take, and he missed it as well. You know, it, it just was one of those nights. Um, so, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but it wouldn't surprise me if, like, let's say Gary said at the next game, you know, whatever. It just even physically didn't even look right. And, and to be honest, some of the decision-making – you know, piles into that, right? Gary obviously is a guy who's going to try to force his offense. Um, that's his role on the team. You know, there's a thin line between forcing your offense and being aggressive. And I think with a shooter like that, you definitely want him to stay aggressive. But there are times where he really, really um, makes you scratch your head with the decision-making because it's sometimes it's just tunnel vision. Like in the third quarter, for example, while the Pacers are able to sort of come back to the game, 
Um, there was a play where Scotty was able to inbound a ball to Gary under the basket. The Pacers were in some sort of weird zone. So there was only one guy under the rim with Gary attacking downhill. And instead of Gary slipping it back to Scotty, the inbounder who's, who, you know, cut back into, you know, the court and was able to, would have just gone up for like a layup or bank shot or whatever, right? Drawn some fouls. Like it was a very, very, very advantageous play when you're two on one at the basket. Gary says, keeps the ball, gets the ball tipped out, is able to collect the ball, but he's in the middle of the paint with three pacers around him, two ahead of him and one guy right in front of him, Miles Turner. And in that moment, if you freeze the play, you could see that Gary has Scotty to his left and Chris Boucher to his right. There's only one guy actually in front of them guarding all three in Miles Turner. And instead of Gary shuffling to either guy, uh, he decided to throw up the, the the little floater in the lane. And you know Gary's not some sort of explosive leaper, so it's very easy for Turner to block him, and the Pacers have to go the other way in transition. Now, the Raptors were able to steal the ball because Thad Young was diving on the floor, won the loose ball, um, you know, and, you know, pushed up ahead. Scotty saved it with a f- scoop pass while falling out of bounds up ahead to Gary. And, and, you know, there was a transition opportunity, but not really because the Pacers had just turned it over and they hadn't actually gone off the floor yet. So they were actually just still like set. I mean, that's a play where, okay, you don't have it in transition, but, you know, you obviously reset, get your numbers back and run your play. Instead, Gary jacks up another three, this time over Miles Turner, and he misses it. And it's just one of those nights where it's like, man, you can't even play him. And so Nick Nurse ended up benching him. You know, Gary just did not look, you know, into the game at all. But you know, I, I, th- I think the half-court creation was, was just such a struggle in the second half. It's hard to overlook that, you know. Um, OG played well, played his role well, and at certain times he was able to give you some scoring to answer Indiana's runs. But, you know, Scott, uh, OG is not a consistent scorer that you give the ball to time and time again. You know, like he literally had three travels to three assists today. Like when was the last time you remember a Raptor having three travels in a game, right? And you might say, well, some that's the officiating, the nitpicking, whatever – I don't care if the footwork's sloppy enough for you to get a call for three travels in a game. You really have to consider, like, what are you doing wrong in terms of putting the ball on the ground? You know what I mean? Like, that has to be polished. That area of the game more and more this season, especially with, obviously, you know, Fred missing time and and uh, Pascal missing time and OG having to sort of take a step up. And, okay, well, this is a, this is a ceiling you're running up into, right? But I don't want to pick on OG because he was by far the Raptors' most efficient player offensively. 26 points on 9-16 shooting, knocked down two of the Raptors' seven threes. Um, this is on a night where the Raptors shooting two of seven from threes for, for a player is actually efficient based on the, the way they were shooting the ball. Um, but, you know, you have OG, you know, walking into turnovers. You have, you know, um, Gary missing everything in sight. You have, you know... Thad Young is probably your most um, consistent source of half-court uh, direction on offense just because he's able to get in the post and he was able – he scored six field goals. I think they were all flip shots with the left hand. Like, he, you know, he was able to at least give you that, and he played his role as well as you can expect him to. Um, Otto couldn't really find any open threes, and he finally took one at the end there, and, and it was an air ball, and, and the crowd really got into him for it. I mean, to be honest, like, you know, how do you not find auto more threes in this scenario is sort of beyond me. They played him 27 minutes. He only got three field goal attempts. And those are all like hook shots and like putbacks and stuff like that. Like they have to have something to get him more shooting. Like he's a shooter. He's not an as aggressive shooter as Gary or Fred or, you know, even OG. But like you have to find him more than three shots in 27 minutes. He's too good of a shooter to not like have a single look for a jumper uh, in that time. You know, and, and 
a lot of that fourth quarter was just like, here, Chris, please hit one of the ba- your bailout threes for us. And Chris started this game great, was energetic, getting to offensive glass. The foul calls were in his favor in the first half, second half. Not getting any calls to the point where he took a charge, no call. Uh, he gets pushed on a screen where Halliburton is able to pop open for three to make it from a three to six point game with like two minutes left. Huge, huge play that the, the, you know Nick was super irate about. Couldn't even review it. Uh, Bill Kennedy was really having a moment. But at, at the point is, Chris got a lot of calls in the first half. Second half, didn't get any calls. A lot more like, here's launch a three. And we know Chris is not that reliable of a three-point shooter to be asking Chris to go shot for shot. Meanwhile, the other side, they got like Buddy Heald or Tyrese Halliburton or, you know, even uh, Miles Turner or, you know, so, like the Pacers just have a lot of decent shooters on the on the, on, on the floor. Of course, not, not even to mention Benedict Matherin, who was quiet in the first half, but really came alive in the second half and kind of torched the Raptors. Uh, off the bench there and you know it was really tough and then of course we could talk about this game in circles and there, there really were a lot of positives but I really got to get to this okay Scotty Barton played 39 minutes tonight at the point guard position he gave you eight points nine rebounds five assists two steals a block on 416 shooting on 0 of 4 shooting from three um when you watch the game it was better than that Thankfully, um, you know, his energy was higher. He was taking more ownership of the team. Um, But when you really look at the way he was able to play this game, um, it just wasn't the type of performance that you needed in a game where you're missing your two primary creators. And I don't think we should get on him for that. I think right now there are limitations to his skill set because aside from him backing down a guy uh, and, and, you know, a, being able to score around the basket, which, you know, he he was playing in traffic today a lot, but he did miss some a, a few chippies, right? So, you know what? It happens, right? Um, but aside from that, which, by the way, is a very predictable move, a very defendable move, right? It's not like the, the Pacers are going to be like, hmm, how do I solve Scotty Barnes posting me up and getting to the basket? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll send a second defender at him and and sit on that hook shot because mostly he's going to the hook shot with the, what, you know, you know, I guess you could score with either hand, but still, it's a very defensible play. Besides that, what is he creating for you in terms of as an advantage that is really going to, you know, burn you? Yes, he was a pass-first kind of guy today and, and picked out shooters. And like I mentioned, he probably could have had 10 assists in this game just based on the shots that weren't there, but he was making the right reads. But as a, from a scoring perspective, eventually they're going to make you score. And especially down, down the stretch of that game when everyone else looked tired, a lot of jumpers weren't dropping. Obviously, the Raptors shoot 7 of 35. That's 20%. You need a bucket at the end of these games. Who are you going to? And Scotty has ample opportunity to do it, and he just couldn't generate anything. Right? The skill set's just not there. The creativity's not there. The, the jump shot's not there. The quickness uh, uh, is not there. Like, it just wasn't there for him. It was like, you know, just repeating the same move over and over again to the point where the Pacers are like, we saw this for 38 minutes. We can we can guard someone trying to post this up. And my whole point about this is not to say that Scotty's to blame for the loss tonight or Gary's to blame for the loss tonight or whoever is to blame for the loss tonight. Or I'm not trying to excuse the loss tonight either. My point is, when you see these games happen, please remember that it is not Pascal Siakam's fault that Scotty Barnes didn't play well. It is not. Fred Van Vliet's fault that Scotty Barnes didn't play well. It is not this abstract idea of Scotty Barnes needs to play the point guard, and if he's not the point guard, quote-unquote, whatever that means necessarily, uh, in a game where the Raptors are literally positionless, but whatever, if Scotty Barnes is not the point guard, therefore he plays bad. Or it's because of the ankle, therefore he plays bad. 
we need to take those things off the table because what you're what we're doing with that that conversation where we are blaming a, a teammate we are blaming another more accomplished teammate we are blaming uh, Nick Nurse we are blaming uh you know an injury or we're blaming the coaching or tra- the training staff we are blaming the circumstance we are doing that to shield him from criticism that doesn't need to be shielded from these are basketball conversations that need to take place that will take place and for a young player we can we can as a fan base have enough maturity have enough like nuance have enough like just um knowledge of the game collectively to understand that a second year player who's main function in last year's offense was to connect the play, play off of others, and, you know, occasionally take over in certain times, but not on a consistent basis, and and not always as a number one guy. Very rarely was he the number one guy. We can understand that a player like that in a second year with his current skill set might not necessarily look so good when asked to stretch into a bigger role. So yes, we would all like to see him take that step, and yes, he will probably get to that step eventually, but at the moment, he's not there. We can acknowledge that fact, and we can hold all those facts without blaming Fred, without blaming Pascal, without blaming Nick Nurse, without blaming the point guard thing. I'm, I'm, and, and if I sound like I'm going on too long in this conversation, it's because it, it boggles my mind. This is a basketball team. It's a team game, right? And... It is not the goal of the team is not to service Scotty so that he can play well, so then then that can serve your agenda, whatever agenda you're trying to push online. It's about winning the game, right? So we don't need to pick fights and blame each other and all this other stuff. It's so petty and it's not productive, and it's not productive in even his own development. Sometimes you got to go through these experiences. Now you know what he has to work on. You know now you understand that like okay, he's way more efficient when he's able to play with other people. Right. And these other guys weren't holding him back. It's just that there are actual limitations of the game. So I think to me, that's one of the big takeaways from this game. And again, we could be emotionally mature enough to hold all that without reflexively blaming everyone else. You know, like it, it, the goal is not to like just put them on a pedestal all the time. Right. We have to have actual basketball conversations about this. Um, but Scotty didn't do well enough to 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 take over in this game. And that's not to say he didn't do some positives. I thought he was much more engaged pushed the pace and set the tempo really well for the team in the first half. You know, obviously he's the, the, the main ball handler in the first unit. So he was um, in charge a lot of the time for setting the pace. If you want to say Scotty played faster at point than Fred usually plays at point, I agree with you. He did. And so did he in the Atlanta game and so did he in the Spurs game. So if you want to call that a trend, go ahead. That's fine. But you know what? The rest of the game wasn't there, right? Did he set up enough teammates? Scotty does a lot of like, Cross-court passes, you know, it, you know, I, I watch a lot of soccer. It's like when you see the left back, you know, switch the play to the right back kind of thing, and there's more space to the other side to attack. Like, he does a lot of those type of passes, right? Opposite court, usually to Chris Boucher, usually to whichever shooter, and they just launch a three, right? He's pretty good at that. He's done that so much this season. Um, but what I think you would want to see him do is get into the points in the defense where he's drawing two or three defenders to him, and then making the right passes out. He was doing that in the first half. Second half, not as involved, not as able to score. So, you know, the Pacers were able to sort of, you know, um, you know, sit and snuff out that strategy. But ultimately, that wasn't there for him. And to be honest, like, you know, the, even the bench coming in, and, and they did a good job of moving the ball. Now, the second half, the, the, the bench wasn't as productive. That's kind of understandable, to be honest. But to me, it's like 
the rest of the guys were at least able to sort of chip in. So the Raptors were able to get this lead. Scotty was playing decently in the first half. Gary was missing everything, but they were able to limit his minutes. And then the bench came in and gave you some decent production. Like Chris was very energetic, gave you 19 and 8. You know, I, I don't think you can ask for anything more from him. Blocked the corner three. I haven't seen him do that in, in, in a while, too. I think it's a, a sign that he's actually just contesting better in general because um, he's not leaving shooters open for three as much. But, you know, obviously he's going to eventually run out of steam if you're asking him to take eight threes, right? And he's not the kind of guy that's going to, like, carry your offense. You know, with all due respect to Chris, he played his role perf- perfectly today. There's there's nothing else you could really ask for him, right? You know, Wancho came in and, and was, was, a, was a real factor on the glass. Eight rebounds in 15 minutes, took a charge, uh, got an assist, got a steal, you know, zero points, but pretty productive performance. You know, didn't see time in the second half, but I thought first half he came in and did what he needed to do. Christian Coloco was really limited. You know, Nick Nurse has been starting him, even said that he will continue to start him in Pascal's absence. But lo and behold, he doesn't start him in this game, goes with the vets instead, Thad Young, Otto Porter. It, to be honest, it worked. The starting unit got off to a really good start. You know, it wasn't like the Raptors were down 10, 15 points after the first quarter like they had been recently. So, from a coaching perspective, that is a better move, right? You're getting off to a better start. You've changed your lineup. Christian wasn't really performing. You took him out. Very standard move. C- comes in six minutes, had a putback at one point, but also left the game with a hit pointer injury. Didn't really play much after that. To be honest, it wasn't really the type of game to have him in the game for because it wasn't like the Pacers are going downhill at the basket over and over and over again and threatening at the rim. They were mostly looking to run pick and pops and get sh- guards shooting and Cycling the ball, drive, cycle, kick, kick, drive, cycle, kick, kind of stuff like that. So that's not the type of game that you really want Christian in the game for. So I understand limiting his minutes, but hopefully that injury is not too serious because, again, the Raptors have had eight guys now miss time due to injuries, which is absurd when you really think about it, uh, less than a month into the season. Uh, and then, honestly, Nick found something decent with the dual back uh, backup point guard lineup of Malachi Flynn and Delano Banton. We haven't seen the Raptors run backup or two guard lineups in a long time. Obviously, Kyle leaving, Kyle and Fred used to do it all the time. Before that, it was like, you know, Fred and DeLon used to come off the bench and run the point together. And honestly, it looked decent. I'm not saying that it's some sort of magic bullet solution, but it's it's interesting because at times you're like, wow, neither Malachi or Delano can contribute. And then now you look at it and it's like, well, when you put them both on the floor and neither of them necessarily has to carry the main point guard duties, they both look kind of productive. You know, Delano gave you 14 points in 13 minutes, including two threes, including a pull-up jumper, got to the foul line as well. You know, decent showing. Malachi, three of nine, but he was able to make up three at one point against a drop. Uh, He was able to um, score a a buzzer-beating layup to end the first half, which is always a good impression to leave on. People can really remember that play and overlook the three of nine. But the two of those guys were able to move the ball well, set the pace, and, and... you know, for the Raptors, the second unit wasn't the, the, the reason why the Raptors lost. Like, yes, Medinic Matherman came alive for 15 points, but the Raptors kept him quiet for the most part. You know, the other guys, I would say Isaiah Jackson, oddly enough, was able to get to the basket a ton um, and, and for a couple of dunks. So, okay, but that's more breakdowns on your perimeter defense of being able to un, uh, you know, unable to contain the guards. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, when you really look at it, it's just – you know, some part of it is the Raptors ran out of steam. Part of it is the Raptors were just shooting so bad from three, right? Um, you know, obviously you need Gary to be way more productive than this. This is not even an average game from Gary. This is as bad as I've ever seen him. Um, you know, especially considering how open some of these shots were, right? Um, but 
ultimately they just didn't have it. And again, 36 to 14 in the fourth quarter. I think some of it for the Raptors is, look, they just have to maintain their transition defense. And more than anything else, I just don't feel like the Raptors are that kind of defensive club. You know, like that's, like they just don't give you that impression that, ooh, man, the Raptors can't get scored on. Do they have great possessions? Absolutely. But I'm here to tell you, every single team in the NBA has great possessions. Like I'm sure in, like OKC had great defensive possessions, you know, last game that we saw them, right? So um, do the Raptors ever, ever give you this impression that they have it so locked down defensively that their team can't even score? Like they can force 21 turnovers, but they also the, the opposing team can also shoot 50% from the field and 44% from three, right? Like th- there's that kind of stuff where you just don't fully feel confident in the Raptors' defense. And to be honest, the one thing that you can you can definitely control is your transition defense. Like I understand the Raptors want to get in the offensive glass. I understand that the Raptors uh, offensively weren't really producing much in the half court at all, and so sometimes they were taking some contested shots late in the clock. And their their floor balance was thrown off because that shot is not in rhythm, and you know you got guys. But what you know, there's no real excuse though. Like you cannot be giving up those transition breaks. Like there was a play in the in the third quarter where um, the Raptors, uh, I think OG missed a shot at like with like four seconds left, like a pull up jumper or something, and then the Pacers were able to get out on a two on two fast break. And you could see that the point guard, I think it was Nemhar, dribbling the ball down the middle, and Buddy Heald ran from the right side of the lane and ran across the court to the left side of the lane, and just nobody followed him. And there's no communication of like, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, my guy's cutting that way. Maybe we'll execute a switch. I pick up the point guard. I pick up Nemhar in the situation. You close out to the three-point line. None of that stuff. You know, and it was bad. And honestly, even some of the discipline on the closeouts, like you do see the Raptors leave their feet a lot on closeouts, right? So it's very easy for the opposing team to put that in their scouting report and say, you know what, against this team, be very careful, uh, use your up fakes, and then turn to the sidestep threes. And I'm not saying it's got to be a sidestep three like it's James Harden off the dribble. I'm saying you have the ball, the, the other guys, the Raptors just flying it out at you. You do one up fake, you take one dribble, you calmly step to the side. If there's no second effort, which on the second half of back-to-back, second effort's going to stop coming in the second half. Raptors' first half, that's some second efforts. They're even containing the ball well enough that they don't even need to have to fly out in the first place. But in the second half, it's way easier to do that, right? And so the Pacers score 66 points in the second half. And again, the, the Raptors just offensively just didn't have anything. And and to be honest, like, you know, it's 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 one of those things where even the the the, the front office, like, you do wonder, like, do you, are are they are they are they not seeing what most other people are seeing? Obviously, like they're geniuses and like they're really really good at their job, and their job is hard, right? Of course. But when you watch the se- the Raptors two seasons in a row now, do you not look at this roster and say, "Damn it, they just need they really really need one more guy who can penetrate, get into the lane, and make plays for others." And it's to the point where I'm watching games and I'm down bad for the opposing point guard on. on Almost every single night, right? And, and this is a night where Malachi and Donato played well, right? But at the same time, did they play as well as TJ McConnell? No. TJ McConnell really picked the Raptors apart. First half, the Raptors had a pretty good handle on TJ. Uh, were able to contain the drive, good energy and stuff like that. All good, right? Second half, especially in that third uh, end of third quarter, early, early fourth quarter stretch, TJ just kept collapsing the paint, kept finding cutters, was finding Jackson for dunks, was finding O'Shea Brissett for dunks, was finding other guys for threes. Like, 
He just kept his dribble alive, kept the pace of the game high, and was just smart and got into the paint. And it's the same thing I've seen from TJ McConnell for like five, six years now, right? Like ever since he was with the Sixers, I was seeing this sort of pattern, right? You know his game, but the Raptors couldn't really contain it. And it's like, you have to take a step back and think, wait, hold on a second. Am I really down bad for TJ McConnell? And it's like, yeah, that's, you know what? If you had one more guy who can handle it for you, who can get into the paint and set up other guys, it would make so much of your team look so much better, right? Because you have so many finishers coming off the bench. Chris Boucher is a finisher. The way he creates is by getting on the offensive glass. He's able to do that. But eventually, teams are going to shut the taps off on that. You're not going to win the whole game with Chris Boucher going for putbacks all the time, right? God bless his heart. That's just that's, that's not enough. That's, a, that's a, again, a very defensible play that teams can adjust to. Juancho is a play finisher, kind of, to be honest. I, I don't really know. Coloco is a play f- finisher but not really finishing right um you know who else usually comes off your bench um auto auto is a definition of a play finisher really only takes open really open catch and shoot threes right thad young can create a little bit for you right but you know he's not breaking down the defense he's getting into the post and then catching teams by surprise with the left hook that he's been doing for 16 years i don't know how that's a surprise 16 years in but you know all all credit to him right you know he's able to to distribute a little bit but he's not breaking down his man unless he's crossing up joel Embiid that one time which was awesome but like you know he can only create so much for he's a connector he's not a play creator in that way right and then malachi and delano they're young in their careers, but so far they have not shown to be play creators. Delano was able to finish plays today by catching a shooting, uh, by getting on transition, but those are not half-court plays where you you dribble the ball, you got a screen, you create, you drive downhill, you scramble the defense a little bit, someone cuts, and then you find them. Like, that's all it was for the Pacers. And look, it's not like the Pacers were, were bringing a whole bunch of creators off the bench. Obviously, that Matherin, but putting aside Matherin, like, it's McConnell out there with a whole bunch of randoms that you really haven't heard of in, in certain cases, and you're able to, and he's able to make that thing look good, right? And when you watch the game against Chicago recently, the Raptors played Chicago twice, it was like Goran Dragic really hurt the Raptors' second unit, and he was a really good backup point guard for them. You look at the game before that against Dallas, Spencer Dinwiddie was the backup point guard. He really took, you know, carved the Raptors apart. And it's like game after game, when you watch these games, I can't be thinking to myself, I'm, I'm kind of sick. Even the idea of being down bad for Goran, being down bad for Spencer, being down bad for TJ. But these guys are really contributing for you. And to be honest, that's that's part of the reason why the Raptors second unit really goes dry. Like, you need some depth at that position. And not just depth of, like, developmental depth, right? Because the Raptors carried three point guards today, in addition to Scotty, who likes himself, likes to call himself a point guard, to the point where people will defend him for a bad game because he wasn't, quote-unquote, the point guard. Um you have Malachi, you have Delano, you have uh, Jeff Downton Jr. was called up from Mississauga. Not used in this game, but I get it. Malachi and Delano are giving you decent minutes. But you need somebody who can create for you. That third creator, someone who can come in off the bench. And I, I'm just, by the way, I, I'm sure the Raptors know this, right? When you think, the, uh, when you saw the Raptors were linked to um, Malachi, or not Malachi, uh, Malcolm Brogdon in, you know, this, in the offseason, you know, according to Malcolm Brogdon, it's like, yeah, he would be the ideal fit coming off that bench and being your third guard in that rotation. Hell, he might even start for you. And But to be honest, like you have enough ball handlers, I probably prefer him in the six-man role. And this is the other thing, too. I actually don't like Gary in the six-man role idea because what you want in an ideal six-man is to come into the game and be able to handle point. I Basically, the ideal uh, 
six man is a combo guard. Right. There are other cases, you know, you have like the, you know, Andre Godala types, but, you know, that's obviously different. The Warriors play a very unique system. Generally speaking, for a six man, you want a combo guard, right? You want Lou Williams to come in. Now, what Lou did really well, obviously, was, you know, ISO for three and draw fouls and all that stuff. Um, but he was also able to run the po- point. Like, you can actually, like, play the game through him against a second unit. He's able to distribute and create for you. Obviously, he's won the six man of the year how many times now, right? Um, Hell, he'd probably be the best six man on the team right now. But, like, that's the kind of guy you want. Gary's not that. Gary has blinders on. In a two-on-one scenario where he has an easy shovel pass to Scotty, he's not passing that thing. Gary played 20 minutes, had zero assists. And he had the ball plenty to try to create early in the game. The Raptors gave the ball to Gary. They were like, hey, please, let's see if you have anything. And he missed a lot of those. But part of the reason he's missing those is because he's just forcing shots. You know, he'd rather take a contested shot and leave his leg out to, to maybe get to the free throw line than he would to pass to the next guy. And more than anything else, he doesn't have any off-the-dribble juice, right? They're not creating – nobody on this team, other than Pascal, really breaks guys down and, and, and forces rotations in the paint, forces panic in the paint. It, it's, it's so many guys. You can finish plays, and that's fine, but they really need that downhill effect. That's why when you see uh, Fred in the game, yeah, he gets blocked three or four times. Fred touches the paint – probably 20 times a game off his, maybe 12, 20 is generous, 15 times a game off his drives. And he's probably kicking out on 12 of those 15 drives. And maybe one of those, when he shoots the three uh, off the dribble, he probably gets blocked in one of those, probably misses one of those, and then makes one of those very heavily contested ones. And then you think in your mind, man, look at Fred, he can't finish anything. Get him off the team. Well, you know what? At least he gets into the paint. And yes, then he gets the whole motion moving. Like, so that part is, is tricky. And then also, to be honest, I don't mind seeing more of this post-up stuff for the Raptors. Like, I really do feel like that's more of a consistent way for the Raptors to score. Made a lot of sense. The Raptors played a lot through the post in this game, whether it was OG in the post, Scotty in the post, Fad Young in the post. They even had Otto Porter in the post, right? And he's not a post-up guy. But, you know, using these guys in the post, they had, they had Chris Boucher running plays out of the post where he's able to, you know, go off the dribble and score an and one. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Even though the post-up is not a very efficient play in the NBA, the Raptors are not an efficient team in the NBA. So it's all relative. I'd actually think the Raptors have more of an advantage in the post relative to league average based on the fact that they have all these mismatches across the floor. And that's not to say that Raptors have any standout post players other than Pascal and potentially Scotty. But when you have like all six, nine guys, eventually one guy's going to have a size advantage. He's able to score, especially against a team like the Pacers who play like six guards in their rotation. Uh, meanwhile, the Raptors got none. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you can you can post up a little bit. I don't mind that. Go to those plays more. The Raptors have been running a lot more horn sets where they have guys lined up at each elbow. They're able to pass the option to pass off of that. That's why you keep seeing Thad Young fighting OG for the occasional back cutting layup. Uh, you're able to see a couple of guys, you know, flip those into triple handoffs and just generate some motion, like whatever, whatever way you can cheat your way into or manufacture your way into some sort of pressure at the basket, keep doing it because that's all you can really hope for. And then, yeah, the three point shooting, like it just wasn't there for them tonight. And to be honest, if you told me if the Raptors shot an average amount for three, could they have competed in this game? Yes. I'm probably telling you the Raptors win this game based off of that. But at the same time, they didn't have their legs. And then that's where you just look at the schedule and you're like, damn, this game was very, very hard to win. When you're shorthanded that, to that degree and you shoot this poorly and you're two guys in the starting group that you really hope for more offense from in Scotty and Gary can give you a combined 14 points on five of 29 shooting, including 0 of 9 from three. That's just not good enough. 
You know, that's just not good enough. And and to the point where Scotty, like, I, again, I already, I already did the rant thing, so I, I'm really not trying to point it out. But, you know, you can look at his free throw attempts. If he's, not, if he's getting zero free throw attempts in 39 minutes when he's the point guard and he can direct any play he wants out there, that's a sign that he's not beating the defense. Right? It's not like he's not putting the defense in such pressure that they got to foul him to prevent him from scoring. That's how you get to the free throw line. It's not a not a secret, right? You, that's why Pascal goes to the free throw line eight and nine times. He's like faking guys out. He's putting pressure. He's quick out quicking them. Look at the variety in which that, that, that Pascal can score. And you compare that to Scotty right now. And again, that's not even a good comparison because Pascal is in like year seven or eight, and he's been I think seven, and, and he's he's obviously gone through the fire. He's literally won a championship. He's 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 led teams to the playoffs before. Like he's obviously been in these situations. He's been improving on that front. But you know. At the same time, like, that's where we, when we have these conversations about some of the more experienced guys, we have to sort of put it within the context of, like, what Scotty could potentially do versus what these guys actually do. And so, again, just, I just want, I guess I just want the fan base to have, like, team-based conversations rather than pitting players against each other. The agenda stuff is just so lame. It's so whack. And it's it's not even rooted in reality. So, anyway, whatever. The Raptors lose this game. Bit of a heartbreaker. They, they played well enough through three quarters. But, uh, I mean, yeah, wow, that fourth quarter was disgusting. And honestly, Indiana, they got a lot of fun players. They, they, they played really well. Um, you know, Benedict Matherin really was able to come alive. O'Shea Brissett was, I think, scored all his points in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, Nemhard, pretty decent point guard. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough. It, it, this, this, uh, yeah, the Raptors need to make a trade. I mean, look... You, I'm not saying make a trade to salvage the regular season, but it, like get somebody who can get downhill, please. Like get a backup point guard that that has some like ability, so that you don't have to like. Obviously, Fred's not going to play 82 games, right? He's already missed time with the back, and now he's sick. You know, you, these are things that just happen. Normal wear and tear for a guy who's you know six foot and playing 40 minutes a night. Like you know, other things are going to happen. You're already scaling back his production, right? Get a backup point guard, please. Like, please, the games are going to be a lot prettier with the backup point guard in. So, um, anyway, to wrap up the show, your three stars. Um, and honestly, some decent ones to choose from. Like, I, I have no, like, act, this is not, like, a bad game for the Raptors. I know they lost, and it's, it's, it sucks, but I, I still do admire their, their effort. They did respond to that game against OKC. They just couldn't finish it out, which, you know what? That's understandable. Not that it's okay, but it's understandable, right? Um, anyway, your three stars. I'm going to give the first out of Thad Young. Um, I think OG had uh, more stats in this game. It probably made a few more plays, but Thad Young just made no mistakes. 15 points, five rebounds and assists, three steals, six of 10 shooting from the field. Couldn't knock down the open three, but obviously he's not really known for that over the course of his career. Got to the free throw line a couple times. Just kept creating offense for the team. And I, I love the hustle that he showed. For a guy who's like literally 34, he plays his, his age in minutes. He's aggressive. He's in year 16. He's pushing the break end to end. Phenomenal stuff. I was really happy with it. You know, as a, as a Liverpool fan, I have to say that uh, one of my... The, one of the players I respect most on that team is a, is a player named James Milner, who is not like the most accomplished player by any means. You wouldn't look at his numbers and say, wow, he had a 20-goal season or, you know, he's the greatest midfielder in the world. I mean, he's won, the, he's won everything and there is to win. But mostly what people really respect him for is the fact that he's made 600 starts now in the Premier League. That's like one of the top 10 marks ever in that whole competition. 
Thad Young is our James Milner. If you're a, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're even a Premier League fan or a soccer league, like any sort of soccer fan, you probably understand that analogy. Just a really dependable vet. You can call, call on him for a, a, a shift, especially when the young guys aren't necessarily are go, going up and down. You bring him in, settle it in. And he gave great effort, great, great hustle. Again, I don't understand why Nick didn't play him at the start of the season, but please don't stop playing him. Like it, he's, he's, he's a really good player for you uh, he, in the sense that he has, he's, he's very useful. He's, he's a good vet. So he's going to get the first star for me. Second star is OG, 26 points, two rebounds, three assists, a steal, two blocks uh, in 36 minutes against um, Indiana, where obviously, you know, he, he played uh, university. Um, a couple pull-up jumpers, not enough, um, but, you know, still a couple pull-up jumpers. Just, again, the drives, it just the turnovers on the drives, like it's just something I'm going to continue to mention. That's something that's a theme of the season. Can OG drive without turning the ball over? Like, it's like one in five or one in four drives now that are turnovers. Like that has to get down to a more respectable rate. It should be around one in 10, one in 12, ideally. You know, like that's where the best players are at. So you need to see that number come down for him. But overall, he played his game, some pretty nice blocks. Um, it just wasn't enough. But OG was was there for you. And he's in terms of having your starter step up for you, OG has stepped up. OKC game, you know, he wasn't there, but really nobody was there for that game. So whatever. Um, he stepped up for you. And then your third star, you know, Delano was energetic and, and you know, was, was, was good. But Chris Boucher obviously had the biggest impact off the bench. So he's going to get the third star, 19 points, eight rebounds, including five offensive, knocked down two threes, got to the free throw line seven times, put his body on the line. Didn't get a lot of calls but in the second half, but it happens. It's not like I expect Chris Boucher to shoot 15 free throws or something like that. So uh, on the other end, they're Gerald Henderson award winner, um, could go a few places with this, uh, but I think I'll probably go with Jalen Smith. Yeah, that's the guy that kind of really burns when he beats you. It's not like he was the best like supporting cast guy. Like I would say that like TJ played better than him. Benedict honestly really only played well in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, even O'Shea was able to come in and really give a, a good effort. But there's just Jalen Smith. You know, he just he's wearing the goggles. He's knocking down these threes, and he he hit two threes and to start the third quarter there, which kind of sparked the comeback and was solid defensively as well. Like it was just, yeah, I don't know. I was expecting him to score absolutely nothing and do nothing on this game. So it did hurt me to see him do that. But uh, yeah, honestly, Indiana played well, and you know what? They had the rest advantage. They have a lot of talent on their team. They were young, they're athletic, they stuck to their game plan, they adjusted when they needed to, and they got the win. Like, you really can't hate on that. So it sucks, but the Raptors move. Hopefully they get some bodies back. Uh, hopefully they're able to, you know, just take a great day off in Detroit tomorrow. Um, you know, everybody, when they, when you're envisioning a perfect Sunday um, on November 13th, uh, what you probably want to do is be in Detroit for it, where it's going to be 4 degrees uh, Celsius. Oh, no, it's going to be 5 degrees Celsius, my bad, tomorrow. A balmy 5 degrees with a low of minus 5, so I hope the Raptors have their jackets. Um, and, and just take the day off, maybe come in for some optional shooting, but really just take your mind off of the thing, and then come back and, you know, play the Pistons, who you know that they're going to be uh, treating that like a Super Bowl, so... If the Raptors walk out of that game with no injuries, it will be a miracle, uh, or no additional injuries will be a miracle. But yeah, it's a tough time. But again, you know, it, it, it's you can have a bad week. It sucks that the Raptors are 500. It sucks that they got so many injuries. It sucks that Scotty's not taking the next step. It sucks that Gary is playing a lot worse than he did last season. Um, but you just got to keep plugging, keep moving. There is still a really good team in here. Um, but they just need to sort of like right now, it's not even about the bigger picture or what the expectations are. It's really just about finding a way to win the next game and stop the run. The Raptors are basically in a scoring drought right now. 
<laughs> but in the in the macro sense, they're in the scoring drought. So um, you just got to trust the team to fight through it and, and mostly just hope that guys got to come back healthier. So uh, that does it for the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, continue to rate, review, subscribe. I know the Raptors lose. And so like when the team does worse, listenership drops which is why it's even more important nowadays to leave a review and keep the, uh, the podcast high on the charts. I, I understand that these aren't the, like, the greatest episodes to listen to because I'm not just praising the guys or, you know, um, whatever, and you, you might not even necessarily agree with some of the criticism, but continue to rate, support the show, you know? Like, don't, don't let... Just because the Raptors don't, don't, aren't doing well doesn't mean the show doesn't need to do well, right? The show absolutely needs to do it all the time, and so the way to do that is to rate, review, and subscribe. So um, I'll be back... Uh, on Monday when the Raptors play the Pistons and um, yeah wow what a time to see Dwayne Casey Dwayne Casey must be licking his lips right now